said back to where we're supposed to be going today we're in a series called impact one and the premise behind this series is very simple and that is this if you're here and you're a jesus follower you probably know this to be true if you're not someone of faith you're here you're skeptical you're pushing back you're curious well number one we're glad you're here but number two this may not be as obvious or as easy to accept but it's still true to us that we believe that god made you on purpose for purpose and that you were made for more in fact, one of the things that we'll be doing on Easter Sunday is we'll be celebrating with people who've made the decision to follow Jesus and be baptized as adults in water. It's a really cool thing because it, it's, it's, it's not just symbolic. There's something powerful in the symbolism that when we go under the water, it's like my old life, my old ways, the past, all the labels, all the pain, all the hurt, all of those things no longer are the, what would you call it, the, the writer or author of my story, but, but I've, I've given my life to Christ and as I come out of the water, I come out of the water, a new creation, with new life, new purpose, new hope and new identity. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, be sure to talk to our next steps team after our church service day but one of the things that you'll notice in the video is that every single person get gets baptized in our church they wear a t-shirt with the words made for more guinness is made of more but you are made for more we believe that god created every single human being for what we call an extraordinary purpose now the extraordinary purpose of our life may not be that every day is extraordinary every day is like some hollywood movie in fact oftentimes it's in the mundane and in the ordinary that god does extraordinary things but it's a sense that we're gripped by destiny that our life matters that we're put on this earth for purpose and that true fulfillment cannot be found in followers likes money and stuff but true fulfillment is figuring out why god created us and using the gifts and talents that he's given us to help the world around us and so because we're made for more we want to make an impact in the world right but the challenge is we can't impact everyone's world the world is a big place have you noticed and there's a lot of people in the world, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of complexity, a lot of big challenges. And, and sometimes as a church, we can unite around certain issues like helping children out of poverty with compassion. And we can make a dent in our world working collectively in generosity. But a lot of times, it's just the problems and the complexity of the world and the pain that people suffer is beyond us. So we can't impact everyone's world. But here's the, here's the truth. Here's the catch. Here's the opportunity. We can impact someone's world. We may not be able to impact everyone's world, but we can make an impact in someone's world. And everyone is basically a whole bunch of someone's. And so if we keep making impacts, who knows what's possible. So back in week one, part one was about prayer power. The prayer works. God answers prayer. And God especially loves to answer prayer answer prayers that are from us for others god loves us and god loves to answer our prayers but god especially honors prayers that come from us on behalf of other people and their needs last week in part two of course celebrating the irish grand slam st patrick's week all those things we looked at the power of invitation being intentional in our invitation how st patrick his life can be broken into three crucial key invitations his invitation from the irish to come back to ireland his invitation to the irish to follow jesus and our god's invitation to us for us to not just uh, celebrate him but emulate him in being like him in being uh, as if it were like i prayed for the doc team being lighthouses uh, beacons of hope and light and love and liberty in a very dark and hurting world today in part three then i want to bring a message called bring better okay so we've heard pray we've heard invite today i want to talk to you the power 
of bringing. And of course, you want to track along all today's message notes are in the Bible app by you version, so you can quickly scan the QR code. And every week we put the message notes in there. There's also additional resources if you want them there for you. And if you haven't already, if you have the Bible app, you can actually make this church your church and you'll get notifications as to what's happening when we post them. Okay, so all the notes are there for you. Let me kick off with a question. And the question is a very simple one. Did you ever need to be brought somewhere? Now think about this for a second. When I ask this question, what I'm trying to get at are those times when maybe as a child, uh, your mother or your father, usually your mother said, we need to go somewhere. And you didn't want to go. Maybe it was to a doctor, maybe a dentist, whatever. And even though you knew the going was going to be good for you, it didn't change the fact that you had no motivation to go whatsoever. I mean, I remember one time uh, uh, when I was about, gosh, I was about 11, and I had this really, really bad toothache, and we were dirt poor. I mean, we were poor and dirt. Dirt had more money than we did, you know what I'm saying? So um, my mother took me, brought me to the uh, local uh, health nurse, and of course, uh, they weren't going to do a filling or help me. Their only solution at the time was to pull my tooth out. Uh, and so, with almost no anesthetic, um, the nurse said, hold my two fingers. Big mistake. Big mistake. Because as they yanked on my back teeth out, I almost broke both of those fingers. Now, in the long run, I was better off because the pain was gone. But in the short run, how many know trips to the dentist are never fun? And if you find the dentist fun, you have bigger issues than finding the dentist fun. You need to go see a psychologist, probably. But, you know, it's not always bad. Sometimes we get invited and somebody goes, oh, I don't really know, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a restaurant, try a different type of food or whatever. I remember, actually, in this very room a few years ago, myself and my wife were like, let's go see a movie. And we're like, yeah, which movie we'll see? And she was like, let's go see this movie called Les Miserables. Anybody? And uh, I was like, ah, it doesn't really sound like an action movie. I don't, I don't know if I want to go see that movie. And she's like, just come. I want to see it. And so we're sitting in this very room all those years ago. And uh, movie starts, opening scene. And I'm shocked as I'm sitting there and I'm watching Wolverine sing. And it's like, Wolverine doesn't sing. What the heck? I mean, how can this get any worse? And then over the hill comes Gladiator. And he's singing too. And to make it even worse... They're singing to each other. And I'm like, what's going on? So I'm sitting there thinking, this is really bizarre. Uh, and I'm kind of waiting for the opening scene to end. And eventually it ends. And I go, thank God. And then the singing continues. I turn to my wife and I go, are they going to sing the whole movie? And she goes, it's a musical, you idiot. And I was like, what does that mean? It's like the whole movie is singing. And I went, oh, no. How did I end up here? But actually, after watching the movie, I thought, that was amazing. I'm going, isn't Les Mis amazing? It was so amazing that I watched like 20 times. I bought the Blu-ray, remember Blu-ray days? Blu-ray DVD box set, and I even went to see it in theater. I am so glad, despite my prejudices and my insecurities and my predictable masculinities, that actually I really enjoyed that movie. Some of my favorite songs, my favorite moments come from that place. The truth is sometimes, come on, we simply need to be brought somewhere for something good to happen. Or it's a dentist or a movie. Here's a a more kind of serious one, but it's still funny. Uh, I'll show you a picture of a McDonald's. Now you don't notice McDonald's. You wouldn't. Why would you? This is the McDonald's in Carlo. I can remember being a child and when once a year on our birthday, we were allowed to go to McDonald's. Yes, kids, listen in. Once a year, on our birthday, we were allowed to go to McDonald's. We had to get in our car and drive over an hour to what we used to call the Big Smoke. Turn to your neighbor and say, Big Smoke. The Big Smoke, of course, being Dublin. The nearest McDonald's to where I lived was over an hour away. There was none in my hometown. There was none in the next town. There was none in the next 10 towns because it was only in the capital city. And once a year... On our birthdays, if we were good, we got to go to McDonald's. If we were bad, we went to KFC. That's another story. So, <laughs> then one day, look what happens. McDonald's comes to us. All, that, all those years of faithful annual patronage, 
must have caught their attention. Thought, let's go to Carlo. And so they opened in Carlo, and it was a wonderful day. That's not my story. I'm just talking about the wonders of McDonald's. Anyway, so a couple of years go by, and uh, I'm about 16 years old. And basically, myself and my mother have a huge row. She kicks me out and says, don't come back without a job. So I go to the only place people go with no skills, no experience, not looking life, McDonald's. And showed up, filled an application for it. They gave me a job. Uh, and very reluctantly, I accepted, got into this job. A few weeks in, myself and my friend were en route to a house party. We were finishing the late shift, and the idea was wrap up, head across town, this house party. But this particular manager had this system where he would send people walking home in groups, young people, uh, just you know for safety reasons, uh, pack mentality. And so we were asked to walk with this group of people to home. And I was like, I don't want to walk that way. We're going this way. And my friend was like, oh, look, we've got to help these girls. Like, who cares? The house party's that way. Like, come on. And so I'm arguing, bickering, but eventually I said, okay, we'll go that way, and we'll go this way. So we start walking, and uh, we got chatting to these girls. One girl in particular really uh, stood out to me and caught my attention. Uh, and then a few days later, we were asked to walk the same group back, and we did, and a few days later. And eventually, I just ditched the whole group. And I started walking her back myself. And, and I thought, you know, I, of course, you know, full disclosure, I was in the hope that maybe she'd like me and have a chance. Of course, what I didn't know was that this person uh, was a Jesus follower. Now, translation for me back in the old days, Jesus freak. You know what I'm saying? Like a psychotic foreign person who worships God in a way that isn't Irish. And so I was like threatened, but I was still really curious. So I kept pressing in uh, to that relationship. Long story short, eventually that person, who's now, of course, if you haven't figured out, my wife, everybody, <laughs> shared the good news of Jesus with me. And despite my stubbornness, despite my pushback, my skepticism, my disbelief, my atheism, my aggression, my brokenness, all the issues that make up the person that is standing in front of you, God broke through all of those things showed me his heart, showed me his plan, put his hand on my life and changed me forever. And all that happened because I reluctantly was brought, dragged to walk these people home. You see, we all know the feeling of what it is when we don't want to go somewhere, we don't see the outcome, we don't see the, the point, but somehow we allow ourselves to go anyway and something good happens. That's what I'm trying to get at you with me. In the same way, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is brought to us because of the faith of others. We bring the gospel to others because of our faith. The point is this, that if you're a Jesus follower, if you're someone that professes faith in Christ, our faith isn't just for ourselves. And I'm going to come back to this in a second and hammer this hard. Our faith isn't just for ourselves. Our faith was given to us because some brave people somewhere prayed for us spoke to us, perhaps invited us, maybe even brought us. Maybe it was your mother who brought you to church, dragged the whole way through your adolescent years in the hope that you would one day be where you are now, a man or a woman of faith with purpose, with life, and a sense of direction. We're all here as Jesus followers because someone somewhere shared the gospel with us. What I want to say today, friends, is there is power in bringing Yes, there's power in praying, and yes, there's power in inviting, but beyond inviting, there's power in bringing. Sometimes our faith, sometimes faith in action goes beyond just praying. Sometimes faith goes beyond just inviting. Sometimes faith goes beyond and brings. And we're going to see this illustrated in one of our uh, one of the most famous stories in the gospel. If you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 5. We're going to read quite a few verses, 17, 26. And we're going to see in the story how it wasn't just prayer or just invitation, but it was the act of bringing, bringing a friend, bringing someone into a place like this where God's presence was that changed their life forever. Let's jump in, verse 17. It says this. And there we go. One day, Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Watch this. Luke counts, recounts. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, what's going on? Well, 
Basically, Jesus is doing what he did for most of his earthly ministry. He would find a spot, whether it was a synagogue, which is like a Jewish church, or under a tree, or a hillside, wherever he could, and he would begin to teach. Now, what was he teaching? He was telling the people the good news, a.k.a. the gospel. All the word gospel means in Greek is good news. So he was telling them the good news. Well, what is the good news? Well, just like last week, if you didn't watch the match and you were scrolling to Instagram or Twitter, your Twitter feed, or you saw the news or a newspaper, or you happened to watch the Late Late Show last Friday night, or someone has told you, Ireland won the Grand Slam. It's like, wow, this is great news. I mean, everybody's going, wow, it's so good. What great news. Well, beyond sports, sporting endeavors or economic endeavors or social endeavors, the greatest news any man or woman can receive in the world is this, that they have a Father in heaven who knows them, who loves them. And despite the fact that we often don't like or love ourselves, wants us to be in relationship with him. And even though sometimes we think our greatest challenges are economic or are, are emotional, or not saying these things aren't important, of course they're important, but there's a hierarchy of needs in our lives. And the greatest need that we have in life is to know and be known by our creator. And that's the thing when you have the money and have the success. That's the thing at the end of the day as you're lying about. That's the thing you'll be wondering about. That's the last thought that will go through your head as you slip from this world to the next. Where am I going? To whom do I belong? And what hope do I have for eternity? And so Jesus was teaching. He was encouraging the people about the nature, plan, purpose, and direction of God. And in that room, we find some interesting characters. Pharisees were like the religious leaders of the day, uh, as well as teach the law or scribes. We're told they'd come from every village in Galilee. Galilee is like a region north of the city of Jerusalem. So let's say Galilee is like a, how would you describe, a county, and Judea would be a province. So from the county of Meath, in the province of Leinster, and the city of Dublin, roughly speaking, if you will. And they weren't coming to admire Jesus. They were coming to find a way to trick. They didn't like Jesus. Isn't it so funny? Like if you're here and you're not a Christian or a Christ follower, listen to this. The people that most dislike Jesus are the people you dislike when it comes to faith. Like it, the sinners were all sitting around lapping up everything Jesus said. The people who were trying to catch Jesus out were the religious types. The two-gooders and do-gooders who believe that this message of freedom that's free challenged their authority base and their, and their ability to use religion for their own personal means. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. What, a, what an interesting thought. And despite this, this, this tension, despite this these motives, still the presence of God was in the room in such a way that Jesus wanted to heal the sick. And we have to remember this, that when we gather, like there's nothing special about this screen. It's just a cinema screen. Like I shared the story of watching Les Mis in this very room. When we're done, we'll leave. There'll be other movies. Like there's nothing spiritual about this place. In fact, there's nothing spiritual about any place. And one of the re another reason why we sometimes push back against faith is because you put more emphasis on the place, i.e. the buildings, the four walls, stained glass and steeple, than the people in the place. What makes a place spiritual is that spiritual beings are present in that place. And every single one of us, we have a body. Come on, here it is. I like it or love it. It's yours for good. So might as well be grateful. Uh, we have a soul, our mind, will, and emotions, that part of us that can feel and interacts with the world beyond just physical touch. And then we have our spirit, that eternal part of us, something in us, even if we don't believe in heaven or eternity, something in us witnesses to us that we are from eternity and we are for eternity and something about our, our mortality just doesn't make sense. We're spiritual beings. But when God is in the room. When the Spirit of God is present, like we keep saying every week, nobody's perfect, everyone's welcome. And when God is here, anything is possible. Hey, maybe today you came for a message, but you're going to leave with a miracle. 
Maybe you came because you, know, you thought, oh, part three of the series, or just because it's your routine or tradition, or maybe someone brought you. Maybe you came for a reason you came, but the reason why you came and the reason why you're leaving are different. Because the presence of God is in this place. At the end of the message, in a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. And in that response song, you have the opportunity to come before the same Jesus of this text. Bring whatever needs you have, albeit physical, financial, mental, emotional, our spirit is that God here is. And the power of God is present in this place. Now, that's not our message, but it's a good place to start. Verse 18, some men were told, we don't know who they are, where they're from, we don't know anything about them. We just know that these four guys are the caricature of great friends. I don't know if you have friends, I don't know if you have good friends, but I'd like to think all of us one day can experience great friends. Great friends are like these dudes. Great friends are friends that don't just give you what you want, but give you what you need. Even when you don't think you want it, and even when you don't think you need it. Great friends are present, not only in times of success and times of striving, but great friends are especially present in times of adversity, trouble, hurt, and failure. And that's one of the reasons why we're so big as a church on connect groups. We don't say join a connect group or life is better connected for the sake of our health, albeit that's true too. We say it because it's so important that we as human beings find friends. And as the church, we don't just go to a service on a Sunday, but we're living together in community. That we have some friends that if we found ourselves flat on our back in need one day, I'd like to think that everyone in this church could have friends like this. Well, what makes these friends so special? We're going to find out. Some men, were told, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and, keyword, tried, say it with me, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now think about, picture the scene, okay? So these, these houses uh, were small houses, first century. We're told it's packed, of course. All the religious leaders have the best seats. They're all in the house, up close and personal with Jesus, trying to hear everything he says, trying to catch him out. And there's, there's rows and rows and rows of people that literally fill the house to the point where there's no space to move or even breathe. Then around the house, not, not just in the house, but around the house, the, a crowd is gathered. I don't know how many hundreds of people deep, but deep enough that they couldn't even get to the house. Like, they're, they're trying to bring their, and we don't know why, but it may be that they saw Jesus. One of them saw Jesus do something, heal someone, say something. But something happened, something Jesus, God did, that motivated these men to get their paralyzed friend, pick him up on his mat, and literally carry him to the house. But the crowd was so bad, they couldn't even get to the door to get to the house, so they tried. And is it true that for most of us, a lot of the reasons why we, we, we get frustrated with friends is because they tried, and that's enough. They tried. I tried. I tried. But it's like, yeah, but I was still inside the door with a puncture tire. Listen, man, I tried. Yeah, but I was still heartbroken because she didn't respond to my check and she's left me. Yeah, but I tried. Yeah, but like, I mean, I still need a hundred euro to pay the rent. I mean, what do I to do? I tried. I'm only human. I tried. And it's like, I just want you to be a friend. What does a friend do? A friend goes beyond trying. A friend tries and realizes this isn't going to work, but I'm determined, despite the fact I don't know how it's going to work out, I'm going to keep working because I'm a that's what friends do for each other. It's actually a whole, whole, there's a whole bunch of scriptures in the Old Testament, especially the book of Proverbs, that talks about a friend sticking close to their brother in times of adversity. We want those kind of friends. But something, these guys knew something, sensed something, felt something, believed something that led them to the point of like, if we can just get our paralyzed friend in front of Jesus, who knows what he can do? Verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. This is the point where most of us are already tired. We're already sweaty. First century, four degrees heat. We're carrying our paralyzed friend. We're like, look, dude, we've carried you for it. Again, it could have been, could have been 100, couple hundred yards. It, more than likely, if you look at what scholars say, it was miles. They carried this friend for miles in the heat to this house to get there. as a crowd. We try, can't get in. Most of us at this point were going home in time for the match. I don't know what a first century match looked like. Maybe it was chickens fighting each other, but they, they had plans. But these guys are different. Because when they couldn't find a way, it says they went up on the roof. 
and began pulling out the tiles and separating the equivalent of first century insulation and maybe cutting through some wood. And again, imagine Jesus sitting there teaching some profound sermon that Jesus would teach and everyone listening. As he's talking, there's a little bit of dust falling. And he's like, don't be distracted, guys. Attention on me. And he's talking some more and then there's a little bit more dust falling. I was like, no, guys. So, and there's like a, a piece of straw and a piece of wood and then there's clanking and there's... And all of a sudden, before you know it, light penetrates that dark room. I was like, what's going on? And Jesus is thinking, that's my gig. I come through the roof with the light. You know what I'm saying? That's... that's that's how I come into places, you know. And all of a sudden, as people's eyes adjust, here comes lowered into this room a man on a mat and four friends, tired, now dusty, now dirty hands, sweaty, lowering this. I mean, the income, how rude. Like, how does the Bible encourage this kind of behavior? Can you imagine if someone just start coming to the roof right now, interrupting my sermon? It's like, Lads, you can wait, just wait for like 15 minutes to be done, like come to the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, how rude, how, how is this condonable behavior? And it's because something in them knew, if I could just, if we could just get our friend in front of Jesus, if we can just find a way, despite all the obstacles, despite what people think, and their prejudices, and their judgmentalisms, and their opinions, and... If we can just get our friend in front of Jesus, who knows what God might do. And so they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now depending on your theology, this is the point where you go, right, Jesus should have cursed them. He should have given out to them. This is totally inappropriate behavior. But we're told in verse 20 that when Jesus saw their now, this is interesting. Where was faith mentioned in the story? Well, nowhere. All they're doing is trying to get their friend in front of Jesus, right? That's all they're doing. They're just digging a hole. They're just making a mess. They're just finding a way to bring their friend to the presence of God is. When Jesus saw they're trying, they're digging, they're helping, he said, I see your faith. Oh, it's interesting. And then to make matters even more confusing, he turns to the guy on the mat, who's clearly paralyzed, yeah, and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And it's like, well, whoop-de-doo, Jesus, but in case you haven't noticed, I didn't come here for no forgiveness of sins. I came here because I can't walk. It's like, what, what, what's going on? So the guys lower the roof. Jesus sees their faith and sees this guy in the mat. Your, your sins are forgiven. Then the Pharisees and teachers of the law are going, ah, here's our moment. We knew he'd up. They began thinking, not saying, thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? So the accusation is, is Jesus has said something against God. That, that, you know, so if you say something that degrades God, demeans God, uh, it's not true. Because that's blasphemy. And in this culture, you could be stoned to death. Not marijuana. I mean, hit with stones. Uh, stones, you think that's not a bad way to go. The stones, yes. So they could be stoned to death for saying something that wasn't true. And the accusation is, is who can forgive sins but God alone? And the question is, who's right? And the answer is, both are right. Only God can forgive sins. Both the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and the religious leaders of the day could not fathom, understand or grasp because their hearts were closed to God. That sitting in front of them was the very person that informs, inspires, and shaped their worship. That sitting in front of them, the presence they were in wasn't just the presence of a great man, a great teacher, great philanthropist, great philosopher, great scribe, theologian, you know, uh, 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 whatever, person, great human. Sitting in front of them was Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. So although their accusation was accurate, the truth is they did not know who Jesus was. In verse 22, Jesus, this is further proof that we know Jesus is God, knew what they were thinking. How many of you know sometimes your mother asks you a question, it's like, how did she know? Or your wife, thinking, how did she? I know what she's thinking. No, you don't. Blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh. Like, did she put a chip in my brain while I was sleeping? How did she know? It's like, this is what Jesus did all the time. People be thinking things, and Jesus didn't just respond to the words of their lips. Oftentimes, he spoke to the question in their heart. 
Now maybe you're here and you've got word, I'm not sure, I'm not ready, it's not for me, church, God, whatever. But Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't fall for it to show the facade that rolls off. Jesus sees the question in your heart. And he speaks meaningfully, purposefully, tenderly, lovingly to the question of your heart. And he says, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Understand that we don't think with our head alone, we think with our hearts. Yes, uh, you could say physiologically speaking, we know thoughts and how the, the, the biochemistry of the brain works, but our soul, that part, that, that middle part that connects to the world, is somehow connected to our heart. And we know that metaphysically speaking, our heart, the ability to feel that deep empathetic sense, isn't just a whole bunch of chemicals in our brain. There's a part of us that's connected to the world. And so Jesus speaks to the thoughts of their heads, but also the feelings of their hearts. And he understands what they're trying to do. They're upset because they believe that he has done something wrong. So to prove his identity, to prove that he is not just a teacher, rabbi, scholar, scribe, whatever, to prove that he is, in fact, the Son of God, he asks this question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Now think of me for a second. These four guys have lowered their friend to the roof. There he is. In front of all these people, Jesus sees their faith and says to the dude, your sins are forgiven. Now question, how are we going to know if what Jesus said actually worked? Well, we don't, right? We have to wait one day until we're all dead in eternity to see if those one two if those four words did in fact work right it's one of the reasons why we go oh church it's all about the future i can't really get my head on that i want tangible evidence now so jesus knows and says well which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stick it up and walk well ultimately when it comes to the question which is easier it's clearly easier to say to someone I forgive you your sins than to speak to someone's sickness and say, the power of God is on me. I tell you, get up and walk. But in the grander scheme of things, forgiving someone's sin is a far greater miracle than healing someone's broken body. Fixing one physical ailment in a moment is a fraction of what it takes to forgive someone for their whole life of living selfishly, sinfully, and destructively. So in essence, yes, it is easier to say your sins are forgiven, but it's much harder to forgive sins and to heal someone, which is why, in a sense, the whole purpose of why we celebrate Good Friday in two weeks' time is because on Good Friday, and there was nothing good about Good Friday other than in Jesus' betrayal, in his trial, in his death, uh, in his burial, there is hope that he died for the forgiveness of our sins. So when he says over you and me, all the pain, all the junk, all the mess, all the abuse, all the, all the dark parts of your story that you want no one to know about, I have set you free from those things. The hope that we have is one day in eternity, we will live in the reality that promise because he died, was buried, and don't want to spoil the story, but of course, he's resurrected. So which is easier? Well, it continues in verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he looked at the paralyzed man. So the four guys on the roof, dust, piece of junk everywhere, meetings disturbed, Pharisees are thinking things. Imagine all the people are thinking, how did, how did he know? Like what? Like all this is happening and in the middle of all this chaos, Jesus speaks, the poor paralyzed dude, like they're going, Ooh. He turns to him and he says, Beyond just forgiving your sins, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now I understand, get up, because he wants, he wants everyone to see the miraculous power of God. Take your mat, because don't leave a mess, that's responsible to do, and go home, because you're interrupting my meeting. Get out of the come, come on, we've got church to do here. Like, get out of the way. And of course, verse 25, this is why this, is, this story is recorded immediately. Now understand this. Luke is a historian. He's a doctor. And he, he wrote his gospel, told, by interviewing and cross-examining eyewitnesses. If this story wasn't verifiable in the first century, anyone who was alive at the time and heard the story or read it could say, Nonsense! I was there! There was like 2,000 of us there, 
And we all know that didn't happen. One of the reasons why even secular historians vouch for, validate, uh, accept the historicity of the Gospels is because in many senses, historically, they're indisputable. Because even though people could have said that didn't happen, they didn't. Why? Because it did. This is what happened. This is what the witnesses saw. This is the account that was given to Luke that he wrote down for us and has been passed on through history, not altered, not edited, not changed. This is what happened. Immediately, a paralyzed man on a mat stood up in front of them, took what he light on, and went home praising God. What a miracle. And again, can you imagine if that happened right now? What would our response be? We'd all be amazed. Like, whoa, what? Did you see that in our generation? Our phone, what? I mean, ah! first century social media is the gospel. It's like, wow, that is crazy, dude. You know, it's like, what? And it says they gave praise to God. There was no doubt in their minds that what happened, what they just witnessed was a miracle from God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. Really quickly, I want to give you three practical steps, and then we're going to pray. Three practical ways our faith brings. First one is this. What do we see in the story? By believing. It says in verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man. Why did they come? Well, we see the answer in later on. Jesus says, because something in them believed. We don't know if the paralyzed man believed. We don't know if he had faith. We don't know if he said, listen, lads, I've heard, bring me, we're not told the detail. What we do know is that something in them believed enough that even when they got to the first level or first layer of resistance, they persisted in the face of resistance, in the belief that they could get their friend in front of Jesus, all things are possible. See, our faith affects the lives of those around us, not just from a moral perspective, but also an eternal perspective. Meaning, you know, when you're a Jesus follower and you, obviously we, we live differently and the world, our value systems are different. And that's, that's a conversation the other day. But, but we try to bring about a better existence for humans. And I've often told you this, things like equality for all races and sexes, things like uh, forgiveness, themes like justice. Like these didn't just appear out of a vacuum in history. These are theological, these are biblical frameworks that come from the Judeo-Christian tradition. And so Christianity, although in the name of Christianity, institutions and leaders like the Sadducees and Pharisees have done bad things. Generally speaking, in a meta sense, Christianity has changed the world to the point where the Western free societies we live on are established, live in, were established and based upon Judeo-Christian principles. So there's a sense in which when we're living our way, our, our, our faith in the world, we make the world morally better place. But beyond just that, there's a sense in where our faith makes an impact eternally, eternally. Because there is a component in us called the true self, the inner self, the true man, whatever, your, your spirit. There's a part of us that came from eternity and will live into eternity. And the question is, where will we live in eternity? Our faith makes an impact in the world, not just morally, but also eternally. Bottom line is, they would never have brought their friend to that house if they did not believe for their friend. They would never have brought him to the house if they did not believe that something happened in the house because the presence of God was there. Our belief shapes us and our world. It was a 19th century playwright and thinker, Anton Chekhov, who said, man is what he believes. And although he's speaking from a naturalistic point of view, still the point is true that how we see and view the world affects how we live in the world. Like, for example, if you've been hurt and you become bitter and you believe everybody in the world is not worthy of trust and mean and to get you, well, how does it affect how you live in the world? Well, you're defensive, you're aggressive, you think you, think, you take every gesture from every person as a threat to your personal safety and your personal endeavors. If you're someone who, who's been hurt to the point where you're crippled with fear and you believe everything in the world can hurt you and damage you and you're fragile and you're fickle and you're easy broken, how does that affect how you live in the world? Well, you lack confidence, you don't take risks because at any point it can all go wrong and you could be broken. 
in a positive sense, we could, we could take a different perspective. Uh, here's an example for you. Uh, about 10 years ago or more, my mother, who at the time was in her 40s, uh, because of a, 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 an illness called glaucoma, lost her eyesight. So, so could see her, most of her life, but in her 40s, start going blind. And every year, it gets worse and worse, and she's almost completely blind now, has a guide dog. And a couple of years ago, I was chatting her because one, when I rang her, I was like, well, as I do, you know, for well, ma, what's the crack? And, you know, da, 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 and I said, where are you? He goes, I, I'm in New York City. What? Yeah, yeah. With who? With the dog. And, well, we came over, my aunties and her flew over for a shopping trip, but they all left her because she's too slow to the dog. And so she's navigating. Have you ever been to New York? She's navigating the streets of Manhattan by herself with a dog in New York. People eat dogs in New York. I was like, this is not good. So I'm like, man. I said, oh, yeah, I just spent the last half hour having a great chat with a homeless guy. Turns out he's temporary. What? Anyway, the trip went well, and she came home. And I was trying to like, man, I'm like, what were you thinking, you know? And she said, I just, I, just, I just determined that even though I'm a victim of this, I won't allow it to victimize me. I refuse to become a victim, to shake a fist, to get bitter, to get angry. Instead, I choose to be independent and find a way to keep living in this world despite my disability. Wow. Is that incredible? Yeah, my mother's amazing. You know my mother, honestly. And you wouldn't think because she made me. You know, she's pretty bad. But, I, but beyond me, she's pretty amazing, okay? So sensing where, how we view the world, how, what, what we choose. And, and all of us, one last thought on this, all of us believe in something. Even if you're here again and you don't believe in God, that's fine. You're, welcome. you're so glad you're here. Like, you still believe in something. We all believe. All I'm saying is what we believe in shapes us and shapes how we live in the world. These four dudes believed that God was good and believed that God was interested and believe that with God anything is possible. Answer that belief. That's number two, boldness. This is really crucial. Again, if you're part of Lighthouse, if Lighthouse Church is your home, and I'm your pastor, listen in. If you're not, go asleep. It's not for you. But if you're part of this family, I want to speak to you right now for a few seconds. Faith, by definition, is bold. Listen to me. Verse 19, it says that when they could find no way... How do you church in Ireland? I have no idea, but we'll find a way. How do you multiply locations? I have no idea, we'll find a way. How do you church in a cinema? I have no idea, we'll find a way. How do you launch one dock? How do you do it in a nightclub? How do you do it? How, how, how? We don't know because there are no churches here. There's no one here leading the way, showing us how it's done, show, do this, da, da. We're constantly figuring out and finding a way to do things. Why? In the hope that the presence of God will fill these spaces and as people come, they can be saved and set free. We don't ap- we're not hidden in the back of some industrial state's apology. We're so sorry, we're the church. I know it's so inconvenient, our faith, oh my gosh. We don't apologize for our place in society. We have a place in this world. It may not be popular right now. It may not be people queuing in the church. But we believe the gospel is good news and it is hope for humanity. And when you understand the power, when you understand the love of God and what's at stake like these four dudes, you get bold. Bottom line is, when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man. Faith is daring. Faith in action is bold. Faith, our culture tries to us, oh, that's okay. You believe what you believe. And I'll believe what I believe. But we'll never talk about what we believe. And that way we can live perfectly in, until I decide I want to talk about what I believe. And if you don't agree with me, I've got a label for you. Whatever that label is. Racist, bigot, whatever. It's like, well, hang on a second. I thought, I thought we weren't going to have a conversation what we believe. Yeah, yeah, but this is different. This is... This is like all these poor people suffering. Listen carefully. Faith cannot be hidden. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, it's not here, but he said it, you can check it out later on, that our faith is like a light to the world. It cannot be hidden. Faith, faith, maybe other faiths possibly, but Christian faith, a faith in Jesus, is a visible, evident, 
every single day, 365 days, 12 months a year, in work, online, at home, with your friends, with your wife, by yourself, on the street, on the bus, on the plane. It's, it's a faith that permeates and impacts every part of our world. Because our faith isn't some compartmentalized hobby that we take around with us. Our faith in a relationship with God is the most distinctive and most important part of our lives. I'm so glad we have five people in this church who are Christians. I'm not joking. That's what faith is. And our culture has tried to suppress and oppress and make us apologize because our cultural moment doesn't like our values. Even though the values of this culture and the possibility of even having an open debate were only made real because Judeo-Christian principles allowed and afforded the freedom of all people regardless of what they believe, whether they're from, their skin color, or their social status. It's only possible to have these freedoms because men and women in prior centuries, by all the pain and all things happened, still create somewhat of a decent political system that allows us to live as free as we can in our world. All I'm saying is simply this, without getting into some long-winded theological thing, is that faith by definition is bold. And sometimes God will speak to us and say, I want you to be daring, but it's always for and on behalf of somebody else. It's always to help somebody else. Maybe sometimes God is saying, just go across the room and tell that person, this, I don't know what you believe and I respect you for what you believe, but here's what I believe. God loves you. Maybe no one else loves you. Maybe you feel a bit down. Maybe you're suicidal. I don't know. But I, want, I just sense that God prompted me. And I'm really uncomfortable right now and this is really weird. No, but I just couldn't shake this sense that God prompted me to come over here boldly and tell you. God loves you. Now, some might go, cheers. <laughs> Moving on. Or they might go, that's the most important news I've ever heard in my life. We don't know how people respond. That's not our job. Our job is to bring the message. Our job is to bear the good news. As Martin Luther said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Boldness is always manifest in action. So faith believes. Faith is bold. And number three, and lastly, and we're going to pray. Faith brings. Verse 24, Jesus said, because I want you to know who I am, and it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but harder to do, but to demonstrate the power and authority I have from my Father in heaven, I tell you, get up, your mat, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And what's so interesting is that the man was lowered to the roof because he believed his physical paralysis was his greatest need that day. But what he couldn't realize was his spiritual paralysis was even greater than his physical paralysis. Many people think their greatest need is healing, emotional healing. Healing financially, healing with, a, with redeeming a broken marriage, healing with you know, uh, reconciling siblings who don't talk. Like, and, and those are all really important and God really cares. But beyond our need for healing, many miss that our greatest need is saving. Because the questions we ask, what caused or created the need for healing to begin with? Why do we get sick? Everyone that. Why do we die? Like I know it's like the most natural thing, but every time you bury someone you love, isn't there something unnatural about the most natural thing in life? Like this is not right. Why do we as human beings have such a sense of injustice about the most natural thing in the world if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective? And that could be our genes fighting against evolution or it could be something in us knows this is not right. We weren't born to live and love and die and be done. Something in us witnesses. There's a component, something deep in us understands that we are eternal beings. And if that's true, then what causes illness and sickness and death and hatred? It's sin. Sin. What sin? It's terrible word. What is sin? Sin is doing anything outside the plan and purpose of God. And usually sin is for myself, of myself, by myself, at the expense of everybody else. What happens then? Hurt. Death. Betrayal. Murder. Racism. Sexism. All the other isms. 
They all come from a heart that's captive by sin. But when Jesus comes and saves and sets free and pays the penalty for sin, well, even though sometimes we're not healed, we've experienced the greatest miracle any human being can experience. Jesus healed the man because his, his friend's faith brought him, but Jesus saved the man because of the faith that he brought with him. See, they may have lowered the mat that made the healing possible, but in that moment, that man believed in Jesus. And because of fully understanding or fully knowing or fully having all the eyes dot and teeth, because he just put his trust and confidence in Jesus, he was saved. See, God not only wants to heal our sickness, and God does. Like I said, today we're believing that in this room right now, people will be healed in the name of Jesus. But God, more importantly, wants to save us from our sin. Because it's in vanquishing sin and death and the grave and hell itself that we can live forevermore in eternity. The greatest miracle anyone can experience is the saving power of God. And we have an opportunity. We can be the man, the man. And say, man, I can't do this by myself. But God, I, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, why today make a bold choice? Just give it a shot for the crack. See what happens. I put my faith in you, Jesus. As you find yourself struggling and unable to work things out by yourself, why not give Jesus a chance in your life? But for the majority of us, we're like the four friends. And we also have an opportunity to be the kind of people that bring people to Jesus. It was F. McClung who said, it is God's work to bring people to Jesus. We find the ones he's preparing and we work with them. We don't know how people respond. It's none of our business. It's not our job to force or make or, or manifest or try to do anything. That's not our job. Our job is to be a lighthouse. Fam, when you're lost at sea, a lighthouse is a welcome thing. It's not an annoying thing. It's a welcome thing. There's a lot of people in the world who are lost and are determined to stay lost. Okay. It's a free world. Thank God for freedom. Keep choosing to stay lost. But for those who hunger for the safe shores of home, for those who are longing to be emotionally, spiritually, physically whole, for those who are longing for the deep answer of the heart that no one even knows you ask, but Jesus is not lost in the lip game. He sees your heart and speaks to your soul. That light is falsia volia. Welcome home. And we are that lighthouse in this community. And winds may come and waves and pop your opinion and all these things and so on and so forth. It's okay. The good news will still be good news a thousand years from now. When Ireland has faded away into oblivion like all countries do and all the things we thought were so important go with it, I can guarantee you this, the church will still be here. And there will still be people like me doing things like I'm doing now, defiantly speaking against the culture and saying there's hope and there's help in Jesus. And we have an opportunity in our time to be people that bring people Jesus. Sometimes we simply need to be brought somewhere for something to happen. The gospel is brought to us because of the faith of others, but we bring the gospel to others because of our faith in God. Mm -hmm.